0: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: Now, that's very encouraging for us when we see that situation there. It's very encouraging for us because we see how the Lord initially led these magi with a star, and when they hit this huge road bump, when they got to Jerusalem, the star reappears to guide them on beyond their troubles. So right after they're real discouraged by man's apathy, the magi are encouraged by God's star. That was really a star of encouragement for them. Just when they needed God to encourage them God made that star to appear. It's like to Him, Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help, ready to cheer, just when I need him most. Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. All right, so the star reappears just when the Magi needed it most. It reminds us of what, what God says about how he guides us. It says in Psalm 32, eight, Psalm 32, eight, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's great. They're guided by the star. We're guided by the eye of God. So the Magi had come to where they assumed that the king of the Jews would be. I mean, after all, this is Jerusalem. It's the capital of the king. It's the city of the king. So you should find the king of the Jews. And when they didn't find the king of the Jews, they were wondering, where do we go next? They needed to know, what's the next step that we need to take here? And that's just when God used the star to say to the Magi, this is not the place, this is not the place, but, but this is the way, this is the way you should go and so walk, follow the star to Bethlehem. Now, in that picture, what we can see is how God guides us in life. You know, we come to where we think we should be You know, we go to where we think we're supposed to go. And then we find out that no, it's not the right place. And then God steps in and says to us, no, this is not the way. This is the way. And that's what God told the prophet Isaiah. God told the prophet Isaiah, this is the way it's gonna be in your life. And and he said in Isaiah 30, verse 21, Isaiah 30, verse 21, God said, thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, this is the way walkie in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left hand. In other words, it's a way of correction. It's like course correction. So this magi, they need a little course correction. I'm always reminded of this when I go sailing. I give the wheel of the sailboat to a person who hasn't sailed before, and I tell them, I said, "Look, when you sail, you don't lock the wheel in place and forget it." You know, I tell him "Otherwise, we're going to have a lot of problems out here." So. I always tell them, I say, no, look for a place on land, like a landmark, and sail toward that, or if we're heading out to sea, I have to just set the, you know, look at the compass setting, and that's what you use. But you have to constantly be adjusting your course out there, why? Because the wind and the currents and the waves, they're constantly, they're moving around, so you have to be changing, you have to be responding. So sailing is all about a continual course correction, I mean, it's just not going to work if a person gets in a sailboat and stubbornly says, I set the wheel to where it's got to go, and I'm not changing the wheel. Oh, no. And if we do that in life, it's going to be a disaster. It's disastrous. So if the Magi had said, you know what? We set out to find the king of the Jews in Jerusalem because that's where the king of the Jews has to be, and we're not moving from Jerusalem. they had said that, they never would have found the king of the Jews. They never would have found him. But the Magi, they had to be flexible. And they had to be willing to let God guide them, let God change them. And so the Magi had to say, okay, it's not about what we think about where the king of the Jews is. This is all about where God guides us to, to find the king of the Jews. And if God guides us to a town that's not found on the map, so to speak, Bethlehem, to a barn, to a feeding trough, to find the king of the Jews, then so be it. And this is how God guides us in life. Only for us, it's not a star. It's not a star in the sky. It's a Bible in our hands. And that's described in 2 Peter 1.19, 2 Peter 1.19, which says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. But just think of those wise men, and what if they didn't look up? What if they kind of like walked along like this the whole time, you know, (laughs) and they never looked up, and they said, you know, God's going to guide me somehow, but I'm not going to look up in the sky, I'm tired of doing that. Then they would have had no guidance from God, because they had to look up in the sky to see that star, and so God has set our guiding star in the Bible And what if a person just says, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I don't have time to read the Bible and and he never reads the Bible. Well, then he can't be guided by God because just the wise men, they they couldn't be guided unless they looked up in the sky. Now, in verse 10, when they saw the star again, it says they rejoiced. They rejoiced. And and that's our experience. This is a special joy when we realize that, wow, God's guiding me. God spoke to me in the Bible today. That's a joy. Now, somehow... And we don't know how, but God revealed to these wise men that the king of the Jews that they were looking for was just born when they said in verse two, "Where is he that is born king of the Jews?" in verse two. And it's amazing to think of them as they're coming to worship a baby, a newborn king of the Jews." And of course, this is how this book you know starts out in verse 18 of chapter one and 118. it says, "The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. That's kind of an amazing statement, you know, especially when when you think of the meaning of the words Jesus. What does Jesus mean? It means God's salvation or God saves. And what does Christ mean? It means Messiah or the sent one. So now you take that statement and it comes like this. Now the birth of God's salvation and God's sent one was like this. It's amazing that the salvation of the world is tied up in this baby that's born in Bethlehem. This is God's like rescue ring that he's throwing out to the world, it's a baby. Now, so the wise men now, they're coming and they're asking this really important question in verse two, It's a very deep meaning, where is he that is born king of the Jews? There's certain messages that we can see in that question because first of all, in that question, we can see two messages. First, in that question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We read in that an eagerness. There was an eagerness. Where is he? I'll do anything to find him. That's my goal in life. i got to find him. It's the question that really expresses a deep eagerness. And now, it's a question that expresses how a transition has been made. A transition. It's a transition from, you know... It would be interesting to find him. And then it goes, and it transitions from that, it would be interesting, to, hmm, I'd like to find him. And it goes beyond that, and it transitions to, I very much want to find him. And then it transitions, goes on to that, it says, I need to find him until it finally arrives at, I must find him. And this is what's behind their question when they say, where is he that's king of the Jews? They have transitioned See, they've transitioned from interest to like to, to want to, to need to, to must. And God says, when anybody, we see it in a picture here, but God says, when anybody makes that transition like that, then God says, okay, you'll find me. In Deuteronomy 4.29, Deuteronomy 4.29, he says, but if... Thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thine heart and with all thy soul. It's this transition that goes beyond interest, want, and so forth. And this is what God is saying. God is saying, you will not find me with just an interest in finding me. God says, you will not find me if you would just like to find me. You will not find me with just a, you know, you have a need You will only find me when it becomes a matter of you must find me. And that explains why so many today just, they go to church, but they don't find God. They they maybe go to Bible studies, they don't find God. Because in their heart of hearts, those religious people figure that, well, maybe God really can't be found. And maybe Christianity is the same like all religions. I mean, after all, what's the difference? And that's why, that's because God says there's only one way to find God. And that way is to find God when you rely on the promise of Jeremiah 29:13. Jeremiah 29:13. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart, with all your heart. So in the question that they ask here in chapter two, verse two, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We read how the Magi had made this critical transition to I must find him, and that's what we're calling eagerness, eagerness. But then, in their question, where is he that's born king of the Jews? We not only read eagerness, but we read hope. Where is he? He can solve all my problems in life. Nothing else can solve them, but he can. And if someone in Jerusalem had come to those magi and said, you know... You don't really need the king of the Jews. Look, I'm Jewish. I don't need the king of the Jews. You don't need a king of the Jews. Go home. Have a nice life without the king of the Jews. You know, it's kind of like me. Kind of like my experience. When I was a teenager, you know, I went to my father when I was a teenager, and I told my father, I says, you know, I don't feel happy. I don't feel satisfied in life. I need something more. I need something more in life. You know, my father did. He sat me down, and he told me, he says, look, just work hard to become like me. I'm a Beverly Hills doctor. We live in a house in Bel Air. It's all you need in life. What more do you need? You don't need anything more. So what if those in Jerusalem had said to the Magi, look, just go back to your home. Have a nice life. That's all you need in life. Don't waste your time looking for the king of the Jews. And if the Magi had been told that, they would have said, no, going home to a nice life back home is not what I need in life. We need the king of the Jews. And we know that he can help us. And so you read when they say this, where is he, this king of the Jews, this hope of this confidence that they have. And we feel that hope. We feel that hope. We read that question they asked in verse two. We feel that hope that has swelled up in their hearts of I know that he is what I need in life. That's a hope that's built on faith. That I know hope of faith. You know, someone asked me this recently. They said to me, how do you know? Why are you so assured? How are you sure that, you know, that whatever they said, your religion is the right one. I don't know what it is. But well, how did the match I know? Because those who know have the witness of the spirit inside of them where God says, you're a child of God. That's what the spirit of God says. He bears witness that we are the children of God. But this I know hope of faith that they had, this is what Job had. Job had this I know hope of faith after he had lost everything. He lost all his wealth, he lost his family, lost his wife, lost his everything, his health. And in that state, he proclaims this I know hope of faith when he says in Job 19.25, Job 19.25, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins, my kidneys, be consumed within me. This was Job saying that he knew that his Redeemer was living, and that he's gonna see him. So in this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews, we read the strength of their hope, which is why that bumper sticker is really good that says wise men still seek him. That's a good bumper sticker. In other words, wise men are still eager with the I must find him. And wise men still have that hope that is centered in finding him. So these are two messages of the Magi when they ask this question, where is he that's born king of the Jews. It's a message of eagerness and hope. Now, the other takeaway that we get in verse 1 of chapter 2 is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But the description of the town of Bethlehem in verse 2, which is taken from Micah 5.2, 5-2, Micah 5-2, is that Bethlehem is the least among the, for instance, the towns of Judah. This is how it was then. And if you were to paraphrase verse 6 here into Yiddish, <laughs> then you would say that Bethlehem was a bubkus of a city. That's what you'd say. It's nothing. It's nothing of a city. So this is the point that verse 6 is making about Bethlehem. It's nothing compared to Jerusalem. And this is the message that the wise man got, the wise man came to Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews. They're gonna find the King of the Jews in the capital and they find out he's not there. And it's an amazing message behind the truth. It's like, if you wanna find the King of the Jews, then don't go to the capital of the Jews because you won't find the King of the Jews there. It's like saying, if you wanna find the King of the Jews, don't go to the Jewish religion, Judaism, because you won't find the King of the Jews there. Because just as the Lord Jesus was not in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus is not in Judaism. And the Magi discovered that on their own. I mean, you know, that um, physically that far, but as far as prominence goes, he he was born in a city of Babkas. It was nothing. Bethlehem was just a city of nothing. And you look at those wise men. I look at these wise men. And When I was looking for the Lord Jesus... And I told my wife, okay, you know, I'm becoming religious. I think I'm totally becoming religious, and i got to go look for God. And I can't go to a church. That's out of the question. I can't go to a church. They're going to look at me, and they're going to start this routine of, you killed our God, you killed our God. And I go running out of the church, and they're yelling, you killed our God, Routine. I can't do that. So I said, okay, that's not an option for me. So I said, okay, i got to go back to the synagogue, which I did. And I went back to the synagogue and I thought, okay, I'm Jewish, he's the Jewish Messiah, these are the Jewish scriptures, so naturally I'll find the Jewish Jesus in the synagogue, sort of. I mean, I really didn't really believe that, but okay, thought, give it a shot. So I, you know, I thought, well, okay, you know, you know, I, this is pretty way out, Jesus is way out there as far as the Jews can, so I thought, I, I got to go to the part of Judaism which is way out, which is the Reform. That's what they are, they're very way out so I called the rabbi, the largest Reform temple in San Diego in 1970, and I told him that I was reading what Moses wrote. And he said to me, stop right there. I have to tell you, I don't believe there was an actual person named Moses. And I was shocked. And then I said, I have to tell you that I'm sorry, I think I have the wrong number, and I hung up. You know? <laughs> there wasn't a person named Moses. I mean, even Charlton Heston believed that there was a person named Moses who made a movie, Ben-Hur, you know. So then I thought, okay, okay, where now, Einstein? Where do you go now? So I decided to try the other side of the spectrum as well, the Orthodox temple, and I went to the service. After the service, I spoke to the rabbi, and I said, I was wondering, the rabbi said, I was wondering if Jesus might have been the Messiah? Well, you know, I wasn't surprised when the rabbi shut me right down, and he said, that's the first time, and that's the last time you'll ever say that name again. So, well, that's the way it was not my home. It wasn't a surprise. We weren't allowed to say the name of Jesus, so... And I went to the conservative temple, essentially no different. So that was my experience of going to Jerusalem and asking, where is he that's born king of the Jews? And just as the wise men were then led to leave Jerusalem, to leave the center of Judaism and go to Bethlehem, the city of nothing, you know, I was led to leave Judaism once and for all and go to a Baptist church. In Pacific Beach, as far as the Jews are concerned, Baptist Church—that's a Bubka's place. That's nothing. It Reminds me when I met the Jewish doctor who treated Dr. David Jeremiah, and the Jewish doctor pulled me aside to help me, and he said to me, "Why are you mixed up with him?" You know, so. <laughs> it's a Bubka's Baptist Church. That's where I found Jesus. And as far as the Jews were concerned, Bethlehem was a Bubka city. It was nothing, and that's where the wise men found the Lord Jesus. And this is what happened in Moses' day. In Moses' day, God decided, pull up stakes from the middle of the Jewish people, camp of the Jewish people with his tabernacle, and he decided to set up his tabernacle, his camp, outside the camp. And anyone who wanted to find God, they had to leave. They had to leave the central camp of the Jewish people and go to the Bufkis place out there in the desert there, and that's where the tabernacle was, and that's what you had to do if you wanted to find God. And that's what it says in Exodus thirty-three-seven. Exodus thirty-three-seven says... And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. So at that time, anyone who wanted to meet with God, they had to walk out of the Jewish camp, and go to this bupkis place out there in the Exodus 33-7, and it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was outside the camp. That's the way it is today. That's the way it is today. Any person who wants to find God has to make the Exodus 33-7 trip going outside the camp of Judaism. When anyone wants to find God, he has to leave Judaism. But the primary emphasis on Exodus 33, 7 is not the leaving of the camp. Exodus 33, 7 says, they went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation. They went to God in the tabernacle. And that meant they had to leave the camp. But the emphasis is not on the going out. The emphasis is on the going to. In order to find God, they left the camp. It was to, to find God that they went outside the camp of Judaism, and this is the call to anyone who wants to find God, you gotta go outside. Commenting on all of this, I was just talking about Exodus 33, 7. The book of Hebrews again makes the primary emphasis of going to the Lord Jesus Christ, as it puts it in Hebrews thirteen, thirteen. Hebrews thirteen thirteen says, Let us go forth unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Bearing his reproach. What's that reproach? Well, the reproach is like you're leaving Judaism. My rabbi friends say you left a good place to go to nothing. And that's what it means bearing his reproach. So this leaving in order to go to God is also the emphasis in First Thessalonians 1 9. 1 Thessalonians 1 9. It's really Gentiles now. First Thessalonians 1 9 is speaking to Gentiles, Hebrews 13 to Jews, but now to Gentiles, same emphasis in First uh, Thessalonians 1, 9. For they themselves show of us what mannering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Okay, now, in verse 11 now, we see this, what the wise men did when they came to the house there. In verse 11, it says, when they were come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you look at that verse, and you just extract out the verbs. Then you see, when they come into the house, they came. So this is the first one. Then they saw, or they looked, they beheld him. And then they fell down or they submitted themselves to him. And then they presented, or they gave their gifts. So these are four really important actions in sequence here.
0: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box seven one one three P.O. Box seven one one three three zero 330 Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at eight hundred two four seven three zero five one. 247 3051
1: Friendship with God Fellowship and Tom Cantor who would like to invite you to our Seder message and traditional Passover dinner on Sunday, April 14th from 4.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Come join us for a special night of music, food, and biblical perspective on the Passover Seder. Experience this event in our brand new venue, The Vine, located near the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. The cost of this event is $25 per person, and the last day to sign up is Friday, April 12th. For more information, please call 619 599 1104. That's 619 599 1104. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's
0: creationbookstore.com.